Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Making Lemonade with Wit and Kelts. I'm Whitney. I'm Kelsey. And today <laughs> we got to talk to Carrie. She told us about her crazy illness mm-hmm. that is so rare and she shouldn't even be here. Yep. Yeah, she, uh, in what, 2010 mm-hmm. was when she started showing symptoms and she's a nurse and she's just, you know, like all of us moms do, we're like, oh, we're fine. We can make it through. Right. And then one day she's like, I cannot, goes and gets it checked out. And yeah, she's has this rare disease. Yeah, it's crazy. They gave her 2.8 years to live. Mm-hmm. And she, here she is almost 12 years later fighting and yeah. incredible. So we're excited for you guys to listen to her story. And thanks for listening. Welcome, Carrie. We're so excited to talk to you today and hear your story. Oh, I'm excited as well. Yeah, uh, what I'm dealing with. So it's kind of fun to, I mean, not fun, but, you know, to share my story right. and to, to have others like kind of learn about it. Mm-hmm. So right. definitely yeah. spread some awareness. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so tell yeah. us a little bit more. Okay, well, basically, I was living the perfect life, you know, like, (laughs) got married when I was 19, had, we had our three kids by the age of 23. So, you know, we just didn't think we had the the rest of our lives. So we just got it done right away there. Mm -hmm. But um, my husband's an electrical engineer, and I'm a registered nurse. Um, Our kids are now older and moving out of the house, which is so horribly sad to me. But Mm -hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Starting the but, new chapter. Yes, it's such a strange chapter for me, but it's it's good. It's been going good. But basically, um, the year I turned thirty, I was working as a registered nurse at the hospital on the surgical floor. I had an eleven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a six-year-old, almost seven-year-old, and just started not feeling great, like. I don't know. It was like a gradual change between like, I can do everything, all this, you know, running the kids everywhere, working full time, you know, being the house mom, you know, like all that stuff to, oh my goodness, I'm tired. I'm going to fall asleep at seven o'clock when I get off work, you know? So I just kind of chalked it up to, I was stressed um, with work and, with kids and my kids were so busy and soccer and basketball and gymnastics and dance and everything you could imagine. So we kind of pulled in the reins and decided that we needed to not do as much, but that didn't help. I found myself like basically just like being short of breath. My, I don't know, just fatigued, like I said, ready to go to bed early Um, And I remember telling my dad as we were walking across one of the major soccer fields that we had done every day, you know, for our lives. But uh, I just felt like I was always a breath behind, um, which is just strange. But I just was like, I can't catch up. I can't Mm -hmm. catch up to like a normal pace. And I found that when I was like getting to work in the morning, you know, parking in the parking garage and stuff. And I'd meet a friend in the parking garage lot or just somebody and walk in with them and I feel like by the time I got to my floor which is on 10th floor I was like oh my goodness I'm so short of breath what's my problem um so I went to the doctor um in like March of that of 2000 
10 and she was like, you know, I think you're just stressed. I think you're a little bit out of shape, which looking back, I don't think I was out of shape. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't overweight. I wasn't, I wasn't eating great, obviously. And I was probably drinking way too much caffeine because <laughs> of my shift work. But um, anyway, so she's like, you know, just to be safe, I think we'll send you to do a stress test at the heart doctors. That's what it's called around here. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I made the appointment and I canceled it three times because, you know, nothing could be wrong. I'm fine. You know? <laughs> yes. You're talking yourself out of it. <laughs> yeah. Talking myself out of it. Like I'm fine. And then in March, my husband and I at March, the end of March, um, that same year, my husband and I went on a cruise and we were doing great. We left from Florida. Um, we were down on the bottom floor doing the whole briefing on, hey, keep yourself safe with a life jacket, blah, 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 in a hot, stuffy room. And I was like, oh. And then, of course, he was like, food. We have to get to be first in line at the food. So after we were done with that, we were like, we're taking the stairs. The elevators were too busy. So I'd run stairs before. It wasn't a big deal. But we ran from, like, the second floor to the 10th floor. Um we got to the top and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm dizzy. I need some water. So he went to get me some water. And then what he tells me now is that he walked just like three or four steps and heard me just flat out fall on my face. So of course, everybody probably just thought I was drunk, you know, like the rest of the (laughs) cruise growers at the time. Um, And I, it took me a while to come back to consciousness, which was really scary for my husband, Mm -hmm. mainly. Um, I came back and was like, what happened? And blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I think I'm just, um, I think I'm just like motion sickness. And my husband was like, hon, we haven't even taken off from the dock yet. (laughs) I was like, oh, Oh. okay. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll see. So I rested up the rest of that day and hydrated. Of course, I was just like, I'm just thirsty and hot and, you know, whatever. But so we finished our cruise like normal people. And I just didn't do much of the stairs. I stuck to the elevators and stuff. Um, Anyways, when we got home, so I knew after that 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 wasn't normal. That Mm -hmm. shouldn't have happened in my brain. I was like, okay, I'm okay, but it's something else. So I ended up going to the the doctor, the heart doctor, for a stress echo, which is they basically look at your heart um, with with like an ultrasound, and then they lay you down. Or, I mean, they, they stand you up, make you walk on a treadmill for so long, and then they lay you down and look at your heart again several times. Well, on the treadmill that day, my heart looked decent. Well, probably not decent, but good enough to stand me up and walk me on the treadmill. And I made it 78 seconds on the treadmill before I turned blue, had no oxygen, my heart rate was literally like 240. Wow. Um, and they were like, um, you need to lay down. And then just the room was like storming with just everybody. They put in like four IVs and did some more testing that day. And um, I'm I'm from a very small area. I mean, it's a pretty big town, but it's, you know, South Dakota is pretty <laughs> not super huge. So you guys would even understand when I say my sort of big, but Mm -hmm. pretty small area. Um, there was one doctor that day that was like, this is what I think you have. 
but I have no idea. I've only seen like he he was probably in his mid fifties at the time, and he said I've only seen like five patients that have ever actually had this disease, and it is um, idiopathic pulmonary arterial hypertension. And I, as a nurse, had never heard those words in my life. I've heard like pulmonary hypertension in like a NICU baby that they grow out of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Things like that, but not in an adult that's 30 years old, that's in good shape, that's working full-time, you know, doing the full-time life. So, um, in idiopathic, I'll explain, means absolutely no known cause. So, they couldn't find a reason for why I was having these issues. So, I was sent to Denver, Colorado, where I still get treated, which is if we drive 12 hours round trip. So I'm seen there every three months, um, roughly. It's been a little bit more at times, but pretty much so. I went there, um, was diagnosed by a pulmonary hypertension specialist who, to this day, I can call his cell phone and he says, hello, Carrie, how are you doing? (laughs) You know, like, he knows everything about me. Um, So I, I went there, they put an IV port. Um, It's a Hickman line. I don't know if you're familiar, but it basically is a tunneled line that goes straight into the the top of my heart um, that gives me life-saving medications. So um, it's one of those that they actually send the patient home, making their own medications, taking care of their own central line. Um, It's just kind of crazy. I, as a nurse, thank goodness, had that experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know how others do it because it's a lot. Um, My husband and I were both, like, trained in the hospital on how to do these meds and how to keep up with it. Um, It was very taunting. It was very, and that doctor, um, which I laugh at him now, but he told me, you're never going to work again in your life. You need to just enjoy the time that you have left because you don't have long. Basically, um, when he put in my, all my statistics into a spreadsheet, it threw out the number 2.8 years to live in 2010. Wow. So yeah, it was not, we didn't expect it. You know, it was not something that I, nobody should ever expect that, but. Well, and um, when he tells you, like your that statistic 2.8 I mean what is going through your mind at that point in your life um my life was I have three children Mm -hmm. a husband that this is not fair Mm -hmm. this is not going to be fair for them um it took me a very very long time before I could even look at my children's faces and Mm -hmm. not cry because I I have two girls and a boy. My oldest is my son. He understood a little bit more than the girls did at that age. But um, my youngest is very, she's just very on point. And even at six, she understood more than she should have. Mm-hmm. And we weren't necessarily talking about like time frames and stuff when I was diagnosed. My husband and I, so I went to Denver, was diagnosed, put on this IV pump, put on oxygen like became a very sick person overnight, basically. Um, Didn't realize that I had been so sick. 
until the meds started working. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I was really sick for a long time. Um, so we got home and of course we had lots of visitors and lots of people, you know, our church just rallied around us, brought us meals for months. I can't even remember cooking. Um, and it was great, but I realized my youngest Hannah had picked up on a lot of the things that I had said to other people, to other adults. And, you know, her first, her first question when we would even start talking about it is, mommy, are you going to die? And that was the biggest thing. So she, of course, asked that at the supper table with all of us, you know, my three kids, my, my husband and I. And so we had to discuss it with these children that had never known a sick person really in their life, Mm -hmm. you know, like a, a, you know, with having this disease and then having a mom that's fatally ill, Mm -hmm. chronically fatally ill. So they learned a lot more than they, they should have. And they grew up really fast. Um, It was hard on all of us, but now looking back, so that was in 2010, I was told, number one, you will never live to see your 40th birthday. Granted, I'm 41 now. So (laughs) I'm like, yeah, take that. Congratulations on that. I I feel like that's such a huge milestone for you. It Mm -hmm. was. And it was so funny. The first, first time my husband and I were driving back from Denver after that like next appointment and then being like, you know, you're not getting much better. So I have a heart cath, um, catheterization, which is a surgical procedure every about six months, just to make sure that I'm stable. I'm doing okay. Um, so I've had that so many times now, so many more than I can even count really, because I've, you know, I've declined, I've done this, I've had, you know, like symptoms of like syncope or passing out and then they'll do another heart cath, even though it's only been like a month and a half kind of thing. So had a lot. So yeah. my husband and I were driving home from one procedure. And I think I um, I think I had gotten to the point where I just laughed about everything because I was just like, at this point, everything is just like ridiculous. And I don't even understand it. I don't. So I said to him, I said, when if I ever turn 40 and if I turn 40, you had better celebrate big. You better plan something huge. So I'm like, you better like rent out the civic center, which is where like concerts and stuff are here. And you better use my life insurance money just right off the bat, which I didn't have a whole lot anyways, but um, we're going to use every dime. We're going to hire like pink and lady Gaga, like just extreme. (laughs) I don't even really listen to them, but so of course the year I turned 40 was um, 2020. So it was middle of COVID. (laughs) So I had a, a major drive-through birthday party. Oh, good! More for you. people than I can even fathom. All of our first responders, nurses, our entire church, all of our friends and family. It was amazing. But I'm not super into like big parties and big gatherings, so I was really thankful that he did not have to live up to that and actually do that. Because <laughs> I it's like a blessing in disguise. <laughs> Like, yes. I'm going to retract that statement. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on my deck that morning as they were all driving by, I was just like, thank you. <laughs> I did not have to go through what I actually had told him. Right. But it was crazy. Yeah. So another physician that we saw in those first days had told me, 
if you live five years, it'll be absolutely amazing. Um, and if you live 10 years, it'll be a complete act of God. And I was like, yeah, awesome. Mm. So, you know, five years in, I was like, well, I'm still doing all right. Um, 10 years in, it was just like, well, take that. Cause <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Um, so basically I'm strapped to an IV pump 24 seven. I've been on it since 2010. Um, the medication is nothing that anybody has ever heard of. I'm actually in our state. I believe there's maybe two other people on this medication. And when I started it in 2010, it was a study med. So I went on it as a study patient, hoping that I got the med (laughs) and then realizing that I did when I got better, you know, instead of the placebo as a study med. So um, potentially you could, so going into a study, you're either just randomly given the med or a placebo to, to see, you know, the the real effects of it and I was given the meds and I could tell right away the side effects basically the side effects are to the point of if you don't have side effects you don't have enough med in your system so they're not fun I won't name them all but some of them are just too much information but basically headache fatigue you know things like that plus gi symptoms and fun things like that so um basically my my doctor was like you know if your symptoms are gone you need to turn up your pump so i'm kind of that's miserable yeah it's I, you know, and I've learned over the years that certain things help, certain things don't. Um, I'm on a lot of medications, oral medications. I'm on two other medications that actually are pulmonary hypertension specific medications. So I'm on three. Um, And then I'm on several other cardiac medications because I also had like an abnormal heart rhythm, which they can't figure out. I have no known cause for any of it. Um, No family history, which family history can be, um, it can be a genetic thing. I don't have that type, um, which is the idiopathic type. Um, I don't have a biological sibling. My two siblings that I do have are both adopted. Um, I was kind of a miracle baby back in the day my parents couldn't have kids and then adopted my brother and sister and were like oh no (laughs) (laughs) and there I was so yeah I don't so I don't have any siblings that would have it um that that they'd be able to tell so my kids have all been tested um every five years which is what they'll do um unless they were to have symptoms which at this point in their life, you know, they're doing good. They're all really healthy. They're all, you know, doing big things in life. Mm -hmm. And we'll just have to, you know, we've been honest with them since day one that this could be hereditary, but we don't think it is. Um, So tell me to cure this, there is no cure, right? You have to get a transplant. There's no cure. Um, Yeah. The cure to this is, a heart and lung transplant, which, so the medication that I'm on was created as a bridge to transplant. So basically they would put it on, 
put patients on it in the hospital until they were given a transplant. And basically, um, hearts do pretty well um, as a transplant. Lungs, on the other hand, are very, very, very short-lived because, Mm -hmm. of course, if you think about it, you breathe in everything with your lungs. You know, not right now because people are wearing masks, but um, like a lung transplant is like at five years, it's like, it's gotten a little bit better in the last few years or in the last like probably 10 years, but it's basically like 50% at five years. And then every year it goes up or I mean, it goes down in percentage. Mm -hmm. So basically my doctor said, we'll get you as far as we can on the medications Mm. and then when those stop working which they will um we will have we'll put you on the heart and lung transplant i'm not currently on it um i was tested for it in the first year that i was sick because i did not um respond how they had hoped i would Uh, but i think that was all part of me not be willing to listen to my body and not do as much as I needed to do. I mean, not do as much as I thought I can do um, and listen to my body and rest more often. So after kind of realizing, taking in stride, everything that I had going on, um, I had a heart, I had a surgery in my heart. Basically they fixed a heart valve that had so pulmonary hypertension is so hard to understand for so many people even me as a medical professional but it is um basically your right heart gets so overworked because there's too much blood pushing and then the the valve that pushes out of your heart into your pulmonary arterial line um goes into your lungs is very narrow thin almost like an overgrown vessel from they have no idea why or what. And so your heart goes into failure. You go into right heart failure. So I was diagnosed in the first year as well with heart failure. And my heart was not at that point getting better. So they went in and did, um, a few things with my valves made them a little bit stronger. Basically my pressure was just pushing that valve open at all times. It wasn't able to close because the, it was like turning on a water faucet so fast that you can't fill a cup. You know what I mean? Like it's just so much that it takes too, too much to close that valve. So they fixed that valve. And after they did that, um, I started to do a ton better. So they were like, nope, I don't feel like at this point we should keep you on the heart and lung transplant. You're doing good on meds. Um, let's just, let's just play it out. Let's see how this goes. So I did, I, in 2010, I quit working, um, as a registered nurse in the hospital, basically because I could not do shift work. Um, and it was also just a, a petri dish for every infection and my lungs just weren't healthy enough to get any more infections. So I quit working, um, stayed home with my kids, enjoyed my time. But unfortunately the year that I 
was diagnosed, the year that I was um, told, you know, you can't do anything, was also the year that my kids all started school full time. Mm. And that was really difficult. I had actually been a stay at home mom for the first um, several years of their lives and then had got put gone back to work as a registered nurse after that. Um, and I had always teased that I was going to be a stay at home mom when my kids were in school full time. <laughs> and then you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, because I, I wasn't. I, my opinion on it was I wasn't a very good stay at home mom. <laughs> I didn't like to stay at home. I love to be with my kids, but I didn't like to stay home. especially. Mm-hmm. And we get our winters here are evil. Mm-hmm. They're just horrible. So all winter long with three little kids, you know, are, it's tough. Mm-hmm. So what did you end up doing when they went back to school? So when they went back to school, I, um, one of the gals that I had gone to school had been my instructor at the nursing school called me and was like, Hey, what do you think about teaching a class? And I was like, what? (laughs) No, no, I'm never going to be a teacher. Like that is not, that's not in the cards for me. And she's like, you know what? It'd be so fun. Like you, it's a fun class. It's not a life and death class. Cause I was just like, I don't want to teach anybody wrong and then have it be like, Oh my goodness, I didn't teach you right. And in turn, you killed somebody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the hospital. So I taught a communications class for nurses. So honestly, it was just one thing that I was like, this is awesome. I loved it. That first semester, my first semester of students, I still hear from, on the regular because it was just it was a great time and I was like well okay so I really love this so that's awesome yeah so I just did one semester or one class that first semester and it was literally like three hours on a Wednesday so it was not much and then it was like grading papers and seeing students on the off, off time but it was great I had the summers off with my kids which they had gotten old enough to do Things like play with their friends and not expect me to keep them, you know, like Mm -hmm. constantly. Or we went to the swimming pool a lot. It was just fun. And what did your like quality of life look right then through that time of your life? Through that time, it was good because I was able, my kids were in school enough. And then my job was just, you know, like three hours from like, I think it was like eight to noon. Is that three hours? No, sometime around then. Uh, I basically just worked those mornings and then I had enough time to go home in the afternoon before I'd pick my kids up from school and rest a little bit, kind of recoup, um, take some much needed time to just like get back to feeling good, pick my kids up and then I could be, you know, mom again at night, make dinner, go to soccer games. Um, so So it was, it was good at that point. Tell us what your future looks like going forward. You so, are basically just thriving and waiting for your medication to kind of stop working and then your yeah. plan changes. Well, you know, at this point, I'm thriving. Um, I'm loving life at this point. I don't know if um, if I mentioned this in my notes at all, but uh, we moved to the middle of nowhere. I am no longer teaching. I taught for seven years um, in a very part-time position. And then 
kind of declined. So in 2017, I declined pretty greatly. Um, they don't really know why or what, but so I, that's when I started a couple additional medications, the oral medications for pH, and those have helped greatly. I uh, went on oxygen full time in 2017, and I just could not stand in front of a class of students on oxygen, on an IV pump, and have them take me seriously, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I stopped working then. Um, and just my husband was just like, you know what? This is your work. Just do what you can with the kids. You know, my kids were at that point teenagers. My son was playing soccer um, for our high school and we were traveling for that. My daughter was a big into dancing and my youngest she played everything so I just really enjoyed my kids they were at a point in time where I could take a nap in the afternoon if I needed to because they could come home we lived two blocks from the school at that point um they could come home they could play with their friends they could do whatever they wanted and I could snooze for a little bit um so it looked really good at that point And then in 2017, you know, I declined. Um, I was pretty much so homebound for that next, um, what would it be, like, year and a half, two years. Um, And then I started feeling better again. And it was just like, oh, okay, this is crazy. So, and then COVID hit. And I was like, oh. So, COVID changed a lot of things and basically... My, so my husband worked from home during that first year of COVID, like everybody else did. Um, and in that year, we decided that we should sell our house of like 16 years and in the middle of the city and we should move to the country. <laughs> so he bought us a 75 acre farm. Like it was empty at the time. I've got a huge 10,000 square foot barn that's just incredible. to look at he has no idea how to do anything farm life (laughs) I grew up somewhat but he didn't even have a goldfish growing up so it's been so much fun you're teaching him right (laughs) yeah so and my dad he's always he's had a hobby farm for years but so he's been out at my place a lot and we work together very closely so now we're raising we're raising goats, alpacas, cattle, chickens, um, dogs, cats. We've got way too many of those two things. Um, but just loving life. And I actually, when we moved out here, I was still oxygen 24-7. I would strap my backpack on. I have my four-wheeler. Um, and everywhere I went, I could take my four-wheeler and not have to walk too much. It was all lo- It's all level ground for the most part. So... I started just being like, you know, I'll go out to the mailbox and get a little bit of fresh air. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do that walk without my oxygen. And believe it or not, over the last six months, I retaught my lungs to breathe, like to work on their own and expand again. So I am currently only on oxygen if I'm sleeping, which I wake up with it on the side of my face. (laughs) subconsciously just take it off so um yeah I've been doing really really well and my doctor is just absolutely thrilled I'm kind of a 
poster child because I've lived, you know, way beyond my expiration date. Um, you know, I, I had become part of like a pulmonary hypertension online group and it was really daunting. It feels like in the first like two, three years, they were, it was horrible. They were just, everybody was dying. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't watch this every day. I mean, my husband would come home and I'd be like, so-and-so died. And, you know, like right. I had chatted with him online and then it was just hard. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to be hopeful. I'm going to be filled with joy with what I have left. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what's important um, at this point and kind of stay out of that like negativity mm-hmm. negativity um and that helped a lot for that my was one of my questions home. for you is I thought how did you get through all of this and change your mindset and look for the future because you had to have you know yeah I did you know and I feel like I never let go of the future um a lot of people literally just go home get their affairs in order and then wait to die I've noticed that and I've noticed that if you allow your body and your mindset to think, you know what, I'm just dying. So what, what good is any of this? Mm-hmm. If you get to that point, that's when pulmonary hypertension becomes a very deadly disease because you can just let it overtake you. And I feel like a lot of those, you know, sadly, pulmonary hypertension um, in adults, it, idiopathic like I have, it's hits people and women at a very high, much higher rate than men right in their childbearing years. So had my husband and I not had our three kids when we were super young, we wouldn't have any kids today because Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was 30. I was 28 when I started having symptoms Mm -hmm. and it took like that two years of on and off passing out, things like that, that basically led up to my diagnosis um so I feel like I never gave up like I had so much in my life that was positive and good and prayer and you know just all that stuff that I'm like you know what I'm not gonna live my life like I'm dying Mm -hmm. I'm gonna live my life like I'm living and right good for you I think that was the most important Mm -hmm. yeah your attitude changes everything. Oh, it does. Well, it's- and I love your story. I love that you like looked for the future. You didn't let it take over your life. You didn't wallow in self-pity, which I'm sure there were yeah. times where you were like, oh, yeah. gosh, dang it. I don't love this, <laughs> yeah. but. Yeah. You and- know, and those times are, are the times that I look back at. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know what, even in my lows, even in my valley, even in my mountaintops, it's been good. Right. And you can still have a good life even as a very sick person. Yeah, a hundred percent. And in this podcast, I always ask a question at the end and the question's always like, what like kept you going in your darkest moments when you were feeling horrible? Like what kept you going? And I Mm -hmm. feel like you kind of answered that, but do you have anything (laughs) you want to add? Well, obviously my three kids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my husband, my family, um, God, I'm, you know, it's so many positive people rally around me and a physician that never gave up on me. Um, I did have several that did give up on me Mm -hmm. over the last 10, 11 years, but 
those things, basically my children, I, I found my, my why being so much more important than my career, which I feel like if I had never gotten sick, probably would have been more of my driving point. Um, I didn't have that anymore. I was stripped of everything that people find makes them who they are. Mm -hmm. And I, I was left with not the things in my life, not the job, not the professional, not none of that. I was left with the people and the moments. And that's what we have. My husband and I have just used that time to make every moment count, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wake up in the morning and I say, Thank you, God, for another day. Let me be as productive as possible. And if that's as being as productive as the G in lasagna, then there you go. (laughs) I'm so glad we got to talk to you and hear your story. And we will just keep praying for you and hope that things go well in the future. Keep us posted. Yes, I will. Okay. I will. And I appreciate you guys letting me tell my story because it's it's long and it's daunting, <laughs> but it's also, I think, worth being heard. Yeah, so, I definitely. agree. I think it's good to hear when people just keep moving forward. And I can't wait to be a 60 year old old lady and have grandkids. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Carrie. And thank, thank you, you, everyone, so for listening. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to leave us a rate and review wherever you are listening. You can also email us at makinglemonadepodcast1 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at makinglemonade.podcast or Facebook at makinglemonade with wit and kills. You can also find out more about my foundation, Bane's Legacy, at Facebook and Instagram at Bane's Legacy and www.baneslegacy.com. And you can find out more about my foundation. You can find us on social media at TT Tough and our website is tttuff.org.